I'm Rechard van der Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 177 for the weekend starting 26 May 2017. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central, the home of South Africa's best technology journalism. On Talk Central this week, government's partial U-turn on Spectrum. Also this week, Microsoft to build Azure data centers in South Africa. Nuspatch may sell pay TV assets. Huawei gets into the PC business. And have we hit peak TV? Time to lift the mic stands on another podcast. Welcome to the show. How's it, Rehart? How's it, Duncan? Let's do the quiz. Do you want to start? Yes, as I'm sipping my water. First question. Microsoft will build, or more accurately, co-locate two Azure data centers in South Africa. In which cities will they be located? Um, I forgot to mention at the start, there's an easy quiz this week. <laughs> <laughs> easy. Second question. Huawei has launched its first laptop. What is it called? Uh, third question. Telecoms Minister Siabonga Tswele this week warned that high data prices in South Africa might require the attention of which regulatory body? Which country this week said it will drop a rape investigation against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange? And the final question. Sony announced this week that it will discontinue which smartphone models to focus on its high-end phones. Interesting move then by Sony. So that's our quiz. We'll get to the answers at the end of the show. We are recording on a Thursday for a change because uh, you're off to do some video footage or something tomorrow, right? Yeah, I'm always, I'm finding a lot of these events happening over the weekend. Mm. Uh, so some Fridays I'm uh, out of the office, but tomorrow I'm actually going to Durban to go see some friends and spend oh, right. some time on the beach. Oh, right. Okay. So Hopefully shooting some drone footage on the beach. On the well. beach. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So uh, we're recording on a Thursday, but uh, lots of news to talk about, especially since we didn't record last Friday. So um, some stuff to catch up on as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But undoubtedly the biggest news this week has been the... Um, I think I call it a partial U-turn by the telecoms minister, Siab Mungo Tuele, on Spectrum. And it's positive news, not entirely positive, I think, but it, it, is, a, it is a move in the right direction. Basically, what's happened is that um, the government has agreed that uh, they'll do an independent study, possibly to be done by the CSIR, possibly to be commissioned by another third party, where they will look at how much uh, Spectrum the wholesale open access network provider requires. What they said in the white paper was that all future high demand spectrum, in other words, spectrum that can be used for mobile broadband, uh, will be assigned to the wholesale open access network, or the WOAN as it's called, mm. and that none of the spectrum would be allocated to Vodacom, MTN, CLC, Telcom, and any other prospective entrants into the market who wanted to use exclusive use spectrum, which is a model that we've used in this country historically, and it's the model that applies in just about every country in the world. So, really agreeing with the industry that there's going to be this investigation by a third-party agency to determine how much spectrum is required, this sufficient amount of spectrum that this WOAN requires. And I can almost guarantee you from now, I guarantee you now that that outcome of that, that investigation will be that uh, the WOAN does not need all the spectrum. In fact, I suspect that the outcome of the investigation will be that the WOAN only needs a small portion of the spectrum mm -hmm. and that the rest can then be made available for licensing by ICASA through the normal licensing processes, be an auction or a beauty parade contest or whichever model they prefer or a mixture of those models um, in the normal course of business. So your Vodacoms, your MTNs, your CELCs will no doubt participate in that spectrum process mm -hmm. and will be, get access to the spectrum. But they have apparently agreed to or Huele is insisting on, is that they agreed to buy 51% of the capacity uh, of the WOAN uh, in exchange for getting access to exclusive use spectrum. 
uh, which I find, a, you know, the number that was being bandied about previously was 30%. That was a proposal put on the table by the industry. Um, it's potentially worrying because um, forcing them to buy 51% of this operator's capacity, if this operator is expensive, uh, if it has, um, you know, it's, it's getting a guaranteed business here, uh, what's to stop it from pushing up its prices? Mm. Um, are we going to rely on ECASA to regulate prices to ensure that uh, that it doesn't um, it doesn't rip off the operators in the, in the pricing? There's a lot of detail that still needs to be worked out here, but, the, the, you know, the worry is that, um, you're, you're creating a company that is going to have guaranteed customers, possibly written into legislation, pro- certainly written into legislation. In a way, you're, you're, you're creating a, a, the potential for abuse because you'll have an, an entity with guaranteed customers. You, these operators have to buy capacity from this entity. Um, what's to stop this entity from fixing prices? Mm, mm. Uh, and at the end of the day, what will that mean? It'll mean higher prices for you and me. Um, and the other issue is, you know, what if this op- what if this WAN doesn't actually have the sort of um, network that the operators really need? I mean, they could make technological decisions that the, you know, the other operators may decide they continue along the three GPP uh, path that de- deploying four G, eventually five G networks, and the wholesale open access network provider might decide to do something completely different mm. and uh, choose a technology that fails. What happens then? Do are, are the operators lumped with? purchasing this technology. So there's a lot of questions that are unanswered. It's creating a very weak point in a system that should be very resilient. It is. Um, Ultimately, it should be left up to the free market to decide what technologies get deployed, who buys services from whom. Uh, What we're doing here is the government is inserting itself in the industry in in the supposed attempt to improve competition in the market and allow smaller players to compete in the market, but at the end of the day, maybe uh, introducing a great deal of inefficiency into the mm. mobile market, mm. which could actually have the unintended consequence of uh, leading to higher mobile prices, which would be problematic. Um, yeah. I think I think the government's heart is in the right place, um, but I, I think the government has a this government has a uh, instinctive distrust for the free market and for capitalism and the free market system generally. Um, I mean, we know that the ANC is a left-of-center party. It, uh, it, they call themselves social democrats. They they believe in a mixed economy, not a free market economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a concern that um, by interfering this way in the industry, uh, an industry that's been hugely successful, by the way, you know, despite the criticism of high prices, they've been successful in rolling out mobile to most of the country. Uh, I think, uh, you know, about 80% of South Africans have owned a cell phone. Mobile penetration by measured by SIM cards is about 140 or 150 percent. So it's been a very successful industry. Um, the it's not a result of their decisions. It's a result of market demand. Market demand, but it's also they created the market. They rolled out the infrastructure. They made the technological decisions sure, that, sure. you know, they they the ones who decided, for example, in the early days to roll towers down the highways. I mean, um, mm. Vodacom made that decision. Mm. Alan Craig made that decision. MTN didn't go down the highways initially. They were forced to do that when Vodacom did it. Yeah, yeah. So there were, you know, a, largely a free market at play here. Um, you could argue that there was too much concentration in the hands of MTN and Vodacom and that perhaps the market should have been opened up earlier. And you can, by the same token, you could also make the argument that there's a need to uh, open up the industry to smaller players and to black-owned players to, 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 um, to, to broaden the industry participation and uh, the diversity in the industry, and uh, you know, I think all of those things are, 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 are correct. Um, the question is how you do it, and you know, you, the risk here, I think, is that you're introducing potentially inefficiency in the industry. And what you're also potentially doing is you're um, 
you're 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 going to be basically uh, setting up a, a guaranteed flow of money to who to small businesses or to the the big guys who are really rich who are going to invest in this one. I mean, two of the people who are most interested in participating in this wholesale open access network are Irene Charnley, who made an absolute fortune, a very rich woman who made an absolute fortune out of MTN in her days at MTN. She now runs Smile Communications. And Andile Nkaba, who, of course, is also um, incredibly wealthy and, and, and got very wealthy mm-hmm. through a dodgy deal with Telcom back in the day, the Elephant Consortium. I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember the details behind that. But they, these are two of the players in the space. They, um, I think they're both billionaires. Um, so w- are we just creating a situation where we're going to enrich existing rich people? Um, that's another thing I think that needs interrogation through this whole process. Yeah, yeah, and it's certainly not. Uh, we have we've been down this road before in other government departments and other uh, business setups. So I think yeah, we have to be very cautious about how we proceed with this mm. and, and make sure that the right checks and balances are in place. Exactly, and I, I think the government is right when they say that there is a need to. Um, when there is a, they said there's a need to, to get more players into this industry. And certainly, I think we've seen that in the ISP market, especially with fixed-line broadband, how intense the competition has been there. Um, we've seen it in ADSL. We're seeing it now in fiber. Um, mm, you know, mm. there's dozens and dozens of ISPs that are competing head-on in that market. Um, the, the real costs in ADSL, for example, are, are not so much the ISP costs. They're the, 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 the infrastructure costs, the, the telecom component of it, which is kept artificially high because they own the fiber and they mm, own the mm. well they own the, the certainly the copper i think in the fiber market they're facing more competition but um you know there's an argument that if you can get a spectrum in the hands of, of these isps that they could really have a big impact on data prices and pricing in south africa um but again you know you're going to have a single point here uh, the woan um yeah. but maybe the woan by by offering wholesale services in a in a in a, almost like an ADSL IPC type model or, or something similar, maybe it'll force the the other operators, Vodacom, MTN, etc., to be much more open, open their networks in the same way that uh, Telcom has, and then and then maybe that through that process will drive down prices. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think everything's negative in, the, in 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 what's coming out here, and I think the the moves we've seen this week by the minister, um, they certainly haven't been couched as a U-turn, but they are a U-turn. Um, I, I think they're positive, but I think there's still a lot of the devil is in the detail, and yeah, uh, yeah. there's still a risk that this whole thing's going to go to court. Um, but but perhaps because of what happened this week, the, the chances of this getting dragged out into court have been lessened, which is um, which is which is a positive development. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think kudos to Siabonga Kwele for being prepared to to amend his position. I think that. Uh, uh, I think that um, I mean certainly uh, the government's not pitching this as a U-turn. Uh, they, they, um, but but it is. They've they've conceded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I think that's a positive thing because the industry has conceded as well. I mean the industry has been very quick to actually uh, come up with this so-called hybrid model. They they didn't say immediately say oh let's all go to court. They said let's uh, let's sit around a table and, and and try and work something out. And they've actually made a number of very big concessions. Um, so it, it appears that both sides are talking to each other, both sides are making concessions, and I suppose that is the way you actually reach a, a settlement at the oh, end yeah. of the day. But I think it's, 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 it's incumbent upon uh, technology journalists, analysts, commentators in the space to ask the hard questions about, well, what does this actually mean for consumers? Because um, it, it's not entirely clear at this point that it's all going to be good for consumers, mm. um, especially if we're creating a situation where uh, there's an inefficient player in the in, in the industry where um, where the mobile operators are forced through legislation to purchase from that entity. 
it's it, it, it creates it, it creates a point of friction uh, in the market potentially. Let's hope it all just works. I mean, let's hope it it, it is a fantastic success. But um, certainly in Rwanda, I was chatting to a, a telecoms executive. I, I won't say who because it was off the, an off-the-record discussion. But I was chatting to a telecoms executive the other evening who said that uh, the WoAN model, uh, which was deployed in, in Rwanda, has been a spectacular failure. Uh, they came in. They, they, they were the only operator with a 4G li- license in that country. And their prices were so much higher than the 3G data networks uh, of the com- competitors in that market that no one used it. And it was a flop. And so they're revisiting the whole model. Yeah. Uh, so we, we certainly need to avoid the Rwandan model. And certainly the minister has repeatedly said the Rwandan model is one we should follow. Uh, he's also said the Mexican model is one we should follow. And the Mexicans are desperately backtracking on their plans in that regard. Uh, so... Um, you know, I, I, let's hope this all this, this some sense comes out of this. But I, th- I think this um, decision to have a, a, a study of the spectrum and what the WoN actually needs, not what the politicians think the WoN needs, mm, is a mm. is a very uh, positive development. And uh, hopefully, we'll have a, the result of that in the next few months. And um, and and hopefully, flowing from that, we'll see some further um, positive um, decisions made around uh, spectrum, because it is such an important issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And very sensitive too. I mean, it could have massive repercussions yeah. if it doesn't get done properly. Exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, it's it's good that uh, the government is um, dealing with these issues at last. I suppose uh, uh, we still have to deal with digital digital migration, which is now um, what is what year is we in now? Twenty seventeen, which is now six years beyond the original deadline that was set by the minister Ivy Matsepe Kasaburi. Uh, I think she set that deadline all the way back in two thousand one, or she started the digital migration project back in two thousand one. So we're 16 years past that now, and uh, uh, digital TV still isn't generally available. Um, so that project needs to get sorted out. Doesn't help the Department of Communications is now separate from the Department of Telecommunications, mm. uh, which was another really stupid decision um, uh, when Zuma split his cabinet uh, after the last general election. Uh, it's caused all sorts of issues. Um, ICASA, of course, now reports to the Department of Communications, yet the Department of Telecommunications needs to work regularly with the regulator. The regulator and, and the Department of Telecommunications are now in court over Spectrum. Mm. It's, it's a big mess. Uh, but we things are moving forward, I think, at last. And we have a new Minister of uh, Communications, Ayanda Dodlaw, who uh, does seem to be um, more effective than her predecessor, Faith Mutambi. Um, uh, I think she's made a mistake in, in going for encryption in, in uh, digital broadcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that view is uh, not universally shared. <laughs> I'm, uh, in fact, I think I may be in the minor- minority view on, on encryption, but uh, I do think she's made a mistake there. But at the end of the day, um, digital TV, terrestrial broadcasting is going to be irrelevant in 10 years' time anyway, so mm-hmm. maybe we don't care. Yeah, no. No, it's, it's, it's kind of that, that sliding scale. Like more, the, the better the broadband, the more people are going to be switching over to, yeah. to, to streaming services. Yeah. I mean, we know most people with a, a relatively good income, middle class to upper end, LSM, all, most of them have switched over to, to streaming services. Mm. So it's just they're going to filter down. Mm, indeed, indeed. It will, it will eventually. I, I suppose the, the, the worry is that, um, and the concern is that, you know, if you're locking consumers into a, a set-top box because mm. you've got encryption in the signal, um, that it's ultimately going to hurt the poor the most because they're the ones who have to have the set-top box. Well, more expense for them yeah. uh, to, to get the technology. I completely agree with you. Yeah, although the government does provide the set-top boxes for free, I suppose you could argue. At but somebody's still paying for them. At the end of the day, uh, taxpayers' money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it the cost that we really need to incur? Yeah, all good questions. 
Anyway, there's, um, we could carry on talking through this entire podcast <laughs> about these issues, but there's lots of other news to talk about. And the other big news, it wasn't this week, it was last week now, but uh, uh, a significant development, I think. Yeah. Uh, fantastic news for the South African ICT market. Uh, and that's that Microsoft is going to deploy two Azure data centers in South Africa, one in Cape Town and one in Johannesburg. Now, these are going to be co-located data centers. That means they're not going to actually put up buildings themselves. Um, which is a good thing because uh, it means that these data centers are going to get you sooner rather than later. They don't yeah, have yeah. to go through the long, tedious process of identifying, identifying sites, putting up data centers, that sort of thing. They're going to rent space in existing facilities. And certainly we know there are plenty of data centers that have been built around this town in the last couple of we've years. Got the, we've got the capacity now, mm-hmm. so we may as well. Yeah. Very exciting. So um, Azure data centers coming to, to South Africa. They're the first in Africa. Uh, and uh, they're, they're, I must say the Azure data center map on the Microsoft website is looking a lot better now that Africa's been lit up. Um, they should go live in about a year's time. Uh, so Microsoft is now going to go through the process of sourcing hardware and uh, actually building these data centers. Uh, no doubt sending engineers out here to, to assist the Microsoft office locally to, to do this. Um, you build the servers, not the data centers. The servers inside yeah, the, the data centers, yeah. So my understanding is they, they literally lease um, space in a data center, mm. empty space mm. in a data center, and then they populate that space. Uh, they haven't said who's going to be hosting these data centers for them. Um, you know, Terraco seems like the obvious one, but uh, I don't know if it is them. Um, certainly, there, there are a lot of data center. There is a lot of data center capacity around. I was very interested that uh, in the media release that was issued, uh, they specifically quoted um, the CIO of Standard Bank, um, and that got me thinking that Standard Bank has a very large data center just north of Midrand, uh, which they spent a huge, controversially spent a huge amount of money on, and which I understand is. Uh, has a lot of vacant space in it. So there's, there's, I'm putting two into, it's just a, it's just guesswork sure, on my part sure. here, but I have a feeling that they may be um, building this inside. And that's the Standard, da- that's Bank. Standard Bank's own data center. It's Standard not, Bank's it's own data center, yeah. So you know it's secure, but you know it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, mm, it's, it meets all these international specifications for data centers tier. I forget which tier it is. It's tier three or tier five or yes, one yes. of those. I forget the, what the tiering grading system is. But it's a, it's a top-class data center, which they controversially spent a lot of money on. Standard Bank is quoted in the media release saying, fantastic that they're coming to South Africa. I'm kind of putting two and two together that it's hosted in the Standard Bank data center. Might be wrong, but uh, I suspect I'm I would not. put a bet on that, yeah, definitely. Um, I understand that the Cape Town data center is um, operated by someone else, though, So, um, which, which makes sense because I don't believe there is a Standard Bank data center in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, it also makes sense because, you know, um, in terms of um, resilience. Yeah, over suppose, and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah having it um, two different. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if I was going to guess Cape Town, I'd probably guess Terraco in Cape Town. Um, Standard, Bank, Standard Bank in Gauteng and Terraco in, mm. in, in Cape Town um, would make sense to me. Maybe, um, I'm sure the details will come out at some point. Pretty much like we know that um, Google has hosted a lot of its cloud infrastructure inside Internet Solutions data centers. Uh, it's an open secret in the market that no one actually confirms it. Um, the other exciting thing about this Azure data center, or these Azure data centers that are going to be built here, is uh, is is what it means for uh, the comp- competition. Now, I had a very good, interesting podcast discussion with uh, John Tullett, um, who I'm sure you know well, Rachel. Mm. He's now working at um, IDC, International Data Corp. And uh, he, uh, he, he said that um, this is very positive for pot- potential further investment by the cloud providers. Uh, and he said that the, the big gorilla in the space, uh, which, which of course is Amazon, Amazon Web Services, uh, could very well follow. 
Um, well, we've been speculating, speculating that for a while, you and I. Um, we have. And, uh, and we've seen it with, with kind of any of these big services or servers um, coming to the country. It just takes one yes. to crack the seal and yes. then uh, the others follow. Follow, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, you can be sure that Amazon has taken note of the fact that uh, Microsoft is coming here. But I'm sure they've they've had plans because they've been recruiting developers for quite a long time. Um, well, they have, locally, I mean, local AWS was in part built by South Africans. Mm. I mean, it, I think it was William van Bullion who was involved in that. Um, is that his name? Uh, these now take a lot as co-CEO. Um, he he was instrumental in 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 those early days of Amazon Web Services and a lot of the. A lot of the early dev work for Amazon Web Services was done in Cape Town. Mm. Uh, so mm. Jeff Bezos knows this market. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, with Microsoft coming here, I'm sure he's uh, taken note. I'm sure mm. Amazon Web Services team has taken note. And there is, of course, the speculation uh, about who is uh, going to be going into the new Bridell data center that Terraco is building. Absolutely massive new data center. Where, where is that? Uh, Bridell on the East Rand. Oh, in Bridell. Bridell, okay. yeah. Bridell. It's um, sort of semi Never heard of that before. Semi-rural <laughs> area near the airport, on okay. the other side of the okay. airport, yeah. Um, and it's, uh, so it's, it's not far from the existing data center, which is in Isando. Uh, I think it's a bit further east or a bit further northeast. Um, kind of on the other side of Kempton Park, I think. Okay. That's okay. how you describe Bridell. Uh, it's um, it also makes sense for packages coming in from overseas to have a warehouse close by to the airport. I'm just teasing. No, <laughs> <laughs> Amazon. But a question I have about the Azure data center. I mean, what what will we see as consumers? Uh, what benefit will we see? I mean, obviously, game servers, Microsoft game servers could potentially Office 365. I mean, these are all things that would now have a local platform. Well, uh, well go have a listen to the podcast I did with John because he goes into a lot of this this detail, but. Um, he said that the impact on consumers is not really going to be that big. Okay. Um, you know, we may see better speeds connecting to OneDrive or a bit of, bit of better latency, you know. Mm. Uh, so OneDrive should improve. Our, that would be a, a yeah, big help. I mean, yeah. that's a very popular service. Um, it, it is indeed. Um, but this is mainly, the ben- main benefit of this is going to be for big companies who are looking to do, um, to put the, their Microsoft internal cloud services. services in the cloud. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of them work for a hybrid type of cloud solution, so some on-premise, some uh, off-premise in, in the data center, uh, but but clearly this is aimed at, at the business market. It's not really mm-hmm. aimed at consumers. There, there'll be some spin-off in that you know um, your files will be probably located on a on a server just down the road, connected directly with yeah, fiber. Yeah. So uh, you know you'll you'll be able to your your speeds for uploading, downloading files will probably be a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a bit, a bit disappointed. I must say in OneDrive's performance relative to Google Drive. Uh, it's a, it's a bit slower. I noticed, in fact, it's noticeably slow. If I upload a file onto OneDrive, it takes about three times longer than it does to Google Drive, and I'm presuming that's got to do with uh, with with Google being hosted locally. Uh, yes, it and, must, and it must OneDrive not being locally. But you would have thought that Microsoft would have put in better measures through, um, uh, you know, um, using technologies like Akamai and stuff mm, to, mm. Um, to to make the. Um, to make it more seamless and make the local performance better than it is. I think part of OneDrive's big problem is it's syncing technology. It, it's not as fluent. I mean, I'm a massive Dropbox mm. user. I've got everything on mm. there. And if I look at the amount of, I mean, I probably do a few t- gigabytes a day of data that transfers to my Dropbox account uh, just on working files. And yeah. the speed is so much faster than I could ever work with in terms of syncing capability yeah. On, yeah. on the OneDrive. And I think it's partly to do not just with the, the internet speed capacity, yeah. But um, the technology they use—it's not yeah. as—it's not as seamless. Interesting. Um, 
yeah. using, using multiple to get people on the same files. And, and I'd love to get know. a technical explanation for that. Um, I mean, I mean, as you know, I dumped this podcast onto Google Drive uh, mm. um, after we've recorded, and it it it's, it always goes up at 100 megs a second across fiber. If I do the same thing on 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 OneDrive, it's it's about a third of that speed. Um, the reason I use OneDrive is that I have an Office 365 subscription, and it comes with a terabyte of OneDrive storage. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's a lot of space. It's, it's it's fantastic, and I don't want to actually spend another ten dollars. Uh, an extra ten dollars a month on Dropbox just to have cloud storage when I have cloud storage through Microsoft. But Dropbox is so good. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know you're a big fan. Uh, if I need to upload something quickly onto the onto, into the cloud, I'll use Google mm-hmm. Drive uh, because I've got uh, I think three hundred gigabytes on Google Drive, and I'll just drop the stuff there. Yeah, so yeah. I don't really don't need to spend the extra money on Dropbox. But um, uh, you know, if, if my my ideal solution will be for. Uh, for, for OneDrive performance to improve, then I'll probably use it exclusively because it's integrated with my OS. I use Windows, uh, and um, you know, I, I, it's I've got a terabyte of storage on there, yeah. which I probably never virtually use. free, it's virtually free with my Office subscription, which is about twelve eleven hundred bucks a year. Mm, mm. Um, seems like a good deal to me. Oh yeah. Mm. So quite exciting. Um, no doubt more details will emerge um, in the months ahead as uh, we start to look at. Uh, 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 you know, as, as the build starts to happen and we start to get some details of exactly what it's going to look like, uh, I suspect Microsoft will won't, won't be fully open about exactly what the status center is going to look like. I don't know if we'll ever actually officially know where it's mm. hosted, um, although I'm sure people will figure it out and the market will talk. And uh, we'll, we'll trace those IPs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but great news. Well done, Microsoft. Uh, and um, let it, uh, let it um, be heard in the Amazon head office as well. We need to take a break. We'll be right off, back right after this. Honey, why can't I download any more series? Dad, my game just bombed. Daddy, I was speaking to Kevin and my cord just cut out. With uncapped Vox Fiber to the home, reaching your cap is a thing of the past. You can have all your devices connected all the time. Get unlimited browsing, unlimited calling, and unlimited entertainment. Vox Fiber, now uncapped. T's and C's apply. For more information, visit vox.co.za. Welcome back to the show. How's it, Rechard? How's it, Duncan? So I thought this snippet of news, I don't want to talk about it too long, uh, but um, Huawei, um, big smartphone manufacturer, yep. uh, big in the telecommunications space. They do a lot of telecoms work for the mobile operators deploying towers. They do fiber. They do just about everything in that space. But uh, known in the consumer market for their um, wireless dongles and their smartphones, uh, they're getting into the PC business. Um, uh, do they know something we don't? <laughs> well, I mean, it, I, I, I saw this and I was thinking, hmm, that is actually a good idea. You know, you've kind of already built a really good brand for yourself. Mm. I mean, we use Huawei routers. I mean, who mm. would have thought a few years ago you'd use a brand that you've never heard of, you know? Um, but their, their phones have proved themselves worthy. Um, their hardware is Their phones are great, actually. Yeah, their, their mm. hardware is, is good quality. Um, I, I think there is, there's always going to be a gap in the PC market. You know, laptops is obviously where it's at. Yeah. Um, for a company who's into electronics, makes cell phones, the PC should be much easier yes. piece of hardware to manufacture. Yes. Um, and obviously a lot easier to, to get hold of those components. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to, to seeing it. Yeah. I think it looks like an Apple. Nice Apple's going to have a run for It's going to have to run for the manual. That's going to prove their worth in the it future. It looks a lot like a MacBook. I must say. It does. It does. Yeah, it's called the MateBook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the name is even similar. I wonder where that came from. The MateBook X. 
Um, it's a sexy looking machine. But laptops, uh, I think especially uh, when you're not looking at the very top end, laptops are, are these ultra thin laptops are actually basically tablets with keyboards attached. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the components on the inside, is everything is basically a, a, a single yeah. motherboard these days, yeah, you know, except yeah. for the battery that you slot in. And yes. uh, it doesn't even have a fan in it, so yeah. um, they are becoming like, it's, I mean, it's like a smartphone with a keyboard or a tablet with a keyboard. It's, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, that's the way we're heading. Um, and from a pricing point of view, I think they're, gonna, they're going to, to force, you know, oh, if, yeah. if they come in with good pricing. They like will, and you know they will. will. Yeah, yeah. No. They're going to to shake it up a bit and make sure that the other guys you mm. know, uh, come down in pricing with with equally good good hardware. Yeah. Well, no, no word yet on whether they're coming to South Africa, um, but hopefully they will at some point. And I think if they're priced correctly, that uh, there'll be demand here in the local market. Uh, and, and maybe they're getting into this market at the right time. You know, the PC market has been in decline for, for a number of years now, and I think smartphones have had, uh, and tablets, for that matter, but primarily smartphones, and as we've moved to larger screen smartphones, mm. I think it's had an impact on that, um, on that PC market, especially in the consumer space. Oh, yeah. But we saw results out from Lenovo yesterday, and uh, they're looking reasonably positive, actually. Uh, they beat analyst forecasts on, uh, on the fact that there's been no slow, further slowdown in, the PC, in their PC sales, so it looks like uh, maybe the corner is... Start, they're starting to turn mm. the corner mm. in in that market, so uh, maybe it's the right time to get in. Maybe there's going to be a bit of a, a uptick over the next couple of years in, in PCs. And you know, PC the PC market, you know, everyone's very negative and bearish on it, but it's not going to go away. I mean, the PC is a form factor that is still hugely important. Yeah. I mean, corporates yeah. aren't going to ditch the PC. I mean, you can imagine some consumers, um, d- you know, not needing a PC, especially with the advent of tablets. Mm. Um, you know, you, in the past, you'd want a, 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 a computer at home so you could do your banking and that sort of thing, but you can do that all on your phone now. So yeah, yeah. arguably in the consumer market, it's not necessary, although um, in, the, in the tech geeky, geeky space, I mean, we have to have a PC. Oh, yeah. right? I mean, keyboard and screen combination, yeah. you know, it, there's a reason why it falls down like that and the, the shape is like that. Yeah. It, it's been proven, you know, mm. it, it, it works. I think the only long-term... Um, uh, a competition or, or uh, st- a st- obstacle that uh, PCs might have mm. is uh, augmented reality. Now, mm-hmm. when that technology matures and you have your glasses with built-in screen, any surface can be your screen. Mm. You'll just need an input device. Uh, but that's still a few years away. We're not we're not going to see the decline of the notebook anytime soon. Quite a few years away, and I think there's still a big question mark over whether people want that as their uh, computing interface. Yeah, but I th- yeah, I, can, I guess you can argue, but the technology will catch up eventually. I mean, you'll yeah. have full 20k, whatever the resolution may be at the time. Yeah. you know, being able be able to project it onto a contact lens. I yeah, mean, yeah, we've got the technology already. Mm. Just a matter of mm. adoption. I must say, I'm much more excited about the voice as an interface. I think voice uh, is. Um, it has got much more potential, especially in the short term. I was amazed to hear a stat the other day. I, I, I'm afraid I've forgotten who said it, but apparently one third of all Google searches now are done by voice. That is interesting. That is that very is interesting. I don't use it at all. I mean, the odd moment in the car when I need something. Yeah. I, use it all, I actually use it all the time. Um, I'm sitting on the couch. I just talk to Google. I couldn't be bothered to type on that keyboard. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, it, it almost never makes a mistake now. Um, and I can have the music blaring in the background. And I can still have a conversation and it picks, up, picks it up. Very interesting. I must look into that it's and start imp- playing with it. Yeah, I know. It's really improved dramatically um, and noticeably in, in the last year. But gesture control and audio control is something that I'm seeing a lot more in in technology all around, you know, from action cameras to drones, uh, you know, these things can be controlled with gesture and with voice. Mm. So just, it kind of reinforces what you're saying. And yeah. uh, I didn't think of it in those terms. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the potential of voice is massive. I mean, imagine in the future, um, you, 
uh, fire up your banking app on your phone, for example. You don't even have to fire up the app. You can just have a conversation with your phone. You could say, hey, F&B, transfer 5,000 rand from my credit card to my check card. As long as it doesn't ask for your PIN number. My PIN number is 1, 2, 3, 4. <laughs> yes. Well, your, your, your um, security could be your voice. I mean, your voice printer. Yes, yes, exactly. exactly. Or, you know, prob- you probably won't use that because uh, well, you probably need some sort of two-factor authentication. So it'll probably say, oh, please scan your fingerprint on the back. Mm-hmm. We've checked your voice. Your voice matches. Now please scan your fingerprint and then we'll do the transfer. You're not thing. under duress. Our algorithms pick up that nobody's standing behind you. Yes. <laughs> You're accepted again. <laughs> Um, but vo- voice is, um, you know, the, I think the, these things like the Amazon Echo, the Google Home, oh, yeah. I really wish one yeah. of them would come to South Africa officially because I already want one in my house. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, those those devices have the, you know, once the artificial intelligence behind those really improves and we're seeing massive investments and massive advances in AI technology happening. Uh, I mean, you'll just sit, sit on your couch, your, your, your Echo will be sitting on the table or the technology will be built into your phone or your TV or mm-hmm. whatever device it happens to be. And you'll just say, hey, please deliver me lo- you know, two large ham and pineapple pizzas uh, from Pizza Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it, the, it'll say back to you, uh, no problem, that'll be 139 Rand. Uh, would you like to debit, debit your credit card? Yeah, yes, sure, yes. please go ahead. Ten minutes later, ding, ding, here's so, your pizza. And then with your wireless uh, doorbell, um, you can see who it is. Uh, let him in remotely. I mean, it's just, we're living in the future. Yeah, you can open the door and uh, the robot will be there with your pizzas. But isn't this, isn't this another reason why... Well, the drone, the drone will come in through the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just dropped it off in your hand. Um, but isn't that another reason why these data centers are so important? Because without an Amazon oh, yeah. data center, we're not going to get an echo. Um, they just need to load the code on the local service so that yeah. we can get that... Uh, the transfer of the information much yeah. quicker. Yeah, I'm not sure why they haven't um, expanded the Echo more aggressively worldwide than they, they have. Uh, um, it's available in very few markets, actually. Mm. I think Britain, they just recently launched recently in the UK. Recently launched in the UK, yeah. And one or two other markets in the US. I think Germany was one of the launch markets there as well, the new the new, yes. new, new rollout. But most markets still don't have the Echo. I think they're trying to prevent uh, it's such a new technology, and I think there's so much with speech patterns, uh, mm. you know, accent, dialect, all those kind of things. Yeah. I think they're being cautious rather than, you know, they've been burnt with their previous products. You know, what was that tablet that they launched uh, mm. that failed dismally? The Fire. The Fire, yeah, the Fire. Mm. Um, the Kindle Fire. I think it's the Kindle Fire. I think it's it's just a, a calculated rollout plan, and um, uh, I, I would rather see a mature product in South Africa than something that doesn't work. So yeah. I'm all for it. Okay. I'm all for it. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, I wonder if you'll come here first, Google Home or, uh, or the Amazon. Okay. No, that's an interesting question, yeah. Mm. I guess it, it, it'll depend on who's got the data center up first. <laughs> Look, Google still really has capacity here. I don't know what, to what extent that, you know, I, I don't think it's the hardcore business services that the Microsoft mm. uh, facilities are going to be offering. Uh, I think it's more just to host um, local storage and services, but I don't think it's, um, you know, I don't think it's the sort of intensive um, business services that Microsoft's planning to offer. I don't mm. think Google really plays big, is a big player in that space. It's really dominated by Amazon, and Microsoft is a strong second player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's exciting times, actually, and it's great to see these big tech giants um, looking at this market. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, interesting piece on Bloomberg um, over the last week, uh, suggesting that uh, NASPAT may sell its pay TV assets in Africa. Um, uh, interesting speculation. I, uh, the talk is that um, MTN had a look um, at uh, Multi-Choice Africa and um, decided not to do a deal. Uh, but I guess what's more interesting out of this Bloomberg story is that uh, uh, is that um, 
NASPERS is considering selling these assets at all. Mm. Uh, what does it say about NASPERS view on the future of pay television? Um, well, television period, I guess. <laughs> oh, but they they fully invested in television. I mean, they're going they're going full on with Showmax. Sorry, terrestrial television. Oh, sorry. terrestrial. Yeah. terrestrial. Well, this is satellite pay TV. Um, I think I think it probably says more about the African market than it does about anything else. They've specifically stated that, uh, or the article said that they're not interested in selling their South African pay TV asset. Mm. This is multi-choice Africa, it's a business outside of Africa, which I think is a very different kettle of fish to DSTV here in South Africa. Yeah, um, I think yeah. they've got a very dominant, strong position with DSTV in South Africa, very profitable. I think outside South Africa, it's a different market. Um, mar- the consumer is, is not nearly as wealthy as, uh, the South, as the average South African DSTV consumer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's a different proposition uh, elsewhere in Africa, I think much more of a prepaid type of proposition. Uh, and I think that they're facing significantly more competition outside of South Africa from uh, other players like mm, Star mm, Times, mm. the Chinese pay TV provider, and there are others. Econet, uh, Strive My CUS company, is also making big moves into the pay TV market, uh, both terrestrially uh, and in satellites. These, these, uh, particularly the Chinese guys are looking at that. Um, multi-choice has, um, assets outside the country include DSTV and GoTV, which is their digital te- yeah, terrestrial yeah. television platform, which I think has been enjoying some success in some of the markets that they've gone into. Uh, but um, yeah, the rest of Africa is much more competitive. Uh, so um, maybe it makes sense to offload those, uh, those assets to someone else. Uh, I'd imagine the Chinese would be interested. I'd imagine, well, MTN has clearly had a look. Um, mm. It appears they've said no. Uh, um, but, you know, there are other potential uh, buyers out there, maybe Econet, maybe Star Times, maybe someone else. Um, whether multi-choice, cons- whether NASPERS cons- considers selling the DSTV South Africa assets at some point seems less likely. I mean, that's still such a yeah. profitable business for them. Uh, uh, I know that it's completely discounted in their market cap, um, mm, which is mm. trading at a discount to the value of their stake in Tencent in China. Uh, if if you took the value, I was reading a very interesting uh, piece by an analyst the other day. If you took um, just the valuation of Nasdaq's 33% stake in Tencent, then Nasdaq's share price should be trading at about 3,300 3, rand a share, but it's actually trading at about 2,800 rand a share. Hmm. Uh, so it's trading at a discount to the value of its 33% stake in Tencent. And so the market hasn't even priced in DSTV multi-choice uh, as, a, as yes. any value in that business, which is really interesting. Um, it, it, you know, why such a massive discount to, to, the, to the value of um, their investment in, hmm. in, uh, in Tencent? Um, but, yeah, so they've got this, this, this pay TV asset in South Africa, but it's... Um, you know, it's not it's not reflected in the share price, uh, even though it's a huge business, very profitable, mm-hmm. dominates its space. Um, but yeah, you know, I can't see them selling it. I, I don't think it makes sense at this time. Yeah. Eventually, you know, I, I think the pressure is really going to come onto that business where streaming really starts to take off. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen right now. Uh, I think very few people have cancelled their DSTV subscriptions yet because of streaming. Uh, it will. It, it is happening. We know it anecdotally. We both know people who've yes, done yes. it. But um, I think the the broader market hasn't done that yet. Uh, particularly if you're a sports lover, you don't really have an option except to subscribe yeah. to DSTV Premium. Particularly if you want to watch rugby. Uh, so um, yeah, it's an interesting one. But the market is fluid. The market is changing, um, and uh, that a company like Naspers is even considering selling uh, some of its pay TV assets, albeit outside of South Africa. 
um, perhaps suggest that uh, the, the the whole the whole the internet is really starting to change that market. Mm, mm. It's probably more though to do with um, uh, the comp- level of competition it faces in the rest of Africa, and yes. also just how you know how to turn make that a really profitable business. Um, uh, but yeah, South Africa, I honestly can't see them offloading that business for a number of years still. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So related to that was a very interesting piece we picked up from Bloomberg uh, and ran on Tech Central this week with the headline, Have We Hit Peak TV? Um, something I've actually been wondering about as a streaming consumer. Um, I can't keep up with all the great shows anymore. Oh, there's there's, a lot. It's just so much. Um, the Bloomberg piece made the point that uh, it was it was AMC Networks, uh, the company behind Mad Men and The Walking Dead and, of course, the fantastic Breaking Bad, mm, mm. that really started this move towards the scripted programming, um, serialization te- of television shows. Um, you recall before that reality TV was really, really big. It's still big, but it's um, but there was, a, there was a real rise of scripted pr- programming, yes, and we've yes. seen fantastic shows. And it's really been actually the, a lot of the streaming providers have really driven this. Netflix in particular we've oh, seen yeah. with great shows yeah. like House of Cards and... Um, uh, Narcos, fantastic yes, TV show, fantastic. Uh, and uh, we're spoiled for choice now. I actually ca- cannot keep up with all the great shows that are coming out on Netflix yeah. at the moment. Just just on Netflix, I can't keep up. Um, no, it's incredible. I mean, for me, it actually started back when Lost. I don't even remember Lost when that came out. I th- to, to me, that was the first time I thought. I have a love hate relationship with that show. Yeah, I stopped after the second season. It's not just season two; it just got stupid. Yeah, but the first season was—I mean—was groundbreaking in yeah. so many ways. And the fact that you have something that—I mean—it also showed us that people will drag out a storyline, yeah. um, which is not ideal. Mm. But yeah, I mean, have we? I mean, I guess the question is: Can people consume too much media? Uh, at which point do people stop consuming that media? Um, well, I think the issue is you've got so many shows now that there's a dilution of eyeballs, and and these shows need a certain number of viewers to make them profitable, yes, yes. and it's in, that number's in the millions, um, just in America where they where they look to monetize. That's why take into account the piracy of those shows because a lot of people would download the torrents of the show. Obviously yeah, they, they make no money from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and increasingly, you're seeing a lot of shows appearing on YouTube as well. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't seem to go down. They just stay there. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it raises a really interesting question. People say we're in this golden age of television. Uh, but is it sustainable? Um, you know, uh, and, and we're seeing evidence now, according to this, this article we ca- carried, that um, it might not be sustainable because we're seeing cut people, start, these networks starting to cut back on some of that original programming, starting to move, shift some of the investment they'd put in that scripted programming into reality TV again, uh, which I think is a horrible idea, but um, there's a big market for it. Um, but it's, 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 it's fascinating to see just how, um, I mean, television in the last 10 years has become absolutely fantastic. I, I, I used to go to the movie house a lot. I don't go to the movies anymore just because there's so much good stuff on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just really long movies. That's really what it comes down to. TV <laughs> but I think if you look at where do these things come from, stories, stories will never mm-hmm. fade out. So we'll always have lots of stories. I think what this is going to cause is maybe less just less noise, you mm. know. Uh, you'll still have really good shows that come to the front, you mm. know. Uh, House of Cards is a kind of uh, franchise, I think, is a good example of what can be done with uh, a series-type mm. show, you know, and that kind of thing won't fade away. Yeah. I think you might just have less contenders or, or mm. less money being spent on 20 shows, you know. They'll probably just yeah. make less, but really yeah. good, good quality and focus on the stories again. But it's amazing that the quality of, of the original productions we're seeing on streaming services is fantastic. is fantastic. I'd say it's better than what you get through the traditional networks. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Netflix is The Crown, 
about the British royal I've family. Seen, I haven't watched it, but I've seen it on Netflix. Brilliant yeah. television. I mean, it must, they must have invested a small fortune making that thing. Um, uh, you know, um, House of Cards, uh, mm. fantastic mm. political show. Um, uh, just trying to think of something else. Amazon. Um, uh, I'm a subscriber to Amazon's uh, Prime, Amazon Prime TV, I think it's called. Mm. Um, uh, there's a, a show that's um, based on the Philip K. Dick novel called The Man in the High Castle. Uh, oh, yes. And brilliant, absolutely brilliant television. Um, oh, really? I really want to check that out. Um, it's, its proposition is the Nazis won what happened after, oh, when yes, the Nazis yes, win World yes. War II. Oh, uh, it starts a bit slowly, um, but it, it really builds up a head of steam. It's a really good, really good show. That sounds like I must yeah. go check that out, definitely. Yeah. Uh, we should actually do a, um, a, uh, an occasional insert on, on this podcast talking about some of the, the shows we've seen. Because, yeah, I can um, talk for day, <laughs> days about it. <laughs> well, let's do it. Yeah, let's do maybe once for every sure, three weeks. We'll, sure. we'll have a chat about uh, some of the shows we've um, you know, we've been mm. enjoying. Watch out, watch um, out, uh, there's, a, there's another one on Netflix called um, Boss Girl. Uh, yes, I've just recently watched. I don't know. I haven't yeah. watched that yet. Um, it's really good as well. It's a comedy. Uh, it's about a. It's loosely based on a very loosely based on a true story about a, a lady who a woman in San Francisco who um, started uh, selling fashion on eBay yes. and turned it into a multi million dollar startup. Um, nice. It's a fun. It's a bit below the belt, but it's. A, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't mind. I'm, I'm a big fan of comedy like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. Um, so tons of stuff. Yeah, let's let's make this a regular, maybe a monthly feature. We talk about uh, what's happening in the world of TV. Yeah, what's new and exciting. Mm. Our best show of all time, though, is still Breaking Bad. Yeah, no, I love it. Breaking Bad is, yeah. is up last, there. Not my favorite. It's not your but favorite. It's, but yeah. it's up there, yeah. What yeah. is your favorite? Um, now you're putting me on the spot here. Um, House of Cards really does did it for yeah. me. I, I was glued to that. I've I mean, only I'm seen a the first spacey fan, I've only seen the first why. season. I'm still get back to seeing the whole thing. Um, but I think if you, if you look at uh, other shows, you know, Weeds really got it for me. It's a kind of show like Friends where you don't watch it once and it's over. You, yeah. you always go back to it and watch episodes, and yeah. you always have context to it. You Weeds know? is great. I thought it lost the plot a bit towards the end, but. Uh there's a lot of American yeah, I guess shows. There was a lot, there's a lot of episodes, and they're only 20 minutes long, right? So yeah. they kind of quick yeah. hits. Yeah. Um, Friends is always a staple, a staple Friends, of mine that yeah. I put on the background. It's oh, the kind of thing yeah. you can just put on. Yeah, and Veep, of course, is Veep, brilliant. yeah, yeah. And then Family Guy and, 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 and South Park. I mean, those are classics. <laughs> that I can't, can't get rid of. Yeah, I can't believe always. The Simpsons is still on TV, by the yeah, way. That's ridiculous. Eh? That's a 23 years almost. Yeah, yeah. No. And it's, it's actually not very good anymore. Um, I've, I watched an episode the other night of the, of the new season, mm. and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I stopped watching, but that's, you know, Family Guy and, and, and South Park are, are slightly different. Uh, uh, South Park is brilliant. Different comedy. Mm. Um, South Park is also getting a little bit stale now. I think that they, they're following a longer story arc. It's oh, not yeah. just each episode. So now it's it's kind of there's more to, to oh, it, right. which is fine. But I think it's, it's they used to make fun of a lot of politics. Now it's kind of yeah. less so, it seems. It's oh, really. Yeah. I, haven't, I must say I haven't watched South Park in years, but I love the fact that they actually... Um, picked up contemporary issues and uh, yes, know, the news yes. of the day, and, and uh, they still do it, but it doesn't seem as hot hitting as it was. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just you know uh, the duration of the show overall, like The Simpsons. Yes, um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose you, you you can't keep coming up with new gags all the time. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh well, Simpsons have been. There was a very good episode where uh, in South Park where um, it was it was all about The Simpsons did it already. So, <laughs> so they uh, South Park tried to do something, and The Simpsons. Already did it. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, very good crossover episodes. They've done a few, few of those. Oh, right. Even Family Guy, yeah. Okay. Crossover with with Simpsons. Yeah. They're all rivals, but I think there's mm. this friendly rivalry going. Oh, on. I'm sure there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Richard, you wanted to chat about a new drone from DJI. 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 Uh, yes. Now, as you know, um, I'm a 
a big drone fan. I've got a Phantom 3 and uh, shoot a lot of video with it. But this really caught my attention. was announced a day or two ago, um, the DJI Spark. Now, what makes this really interesting is the fact that now you've got a drone. It's not just the size of your phone. So, I mean, it's roughly the body is roughly the size. If I hold up my iPhone 6S here, yeah. it's roughly that size. The propellers don't fold out. Uh, the, the, the propellers can fold out, but the, the arms kind of stay in place. But this thing can fit into your pocket. Now, it's not unlike DJI's other drones, which are aimed at a a slightly higher end of the market, you know, photographers, videographers. Yeah. This is aimed at the consumer photographer. Okay. So, I mean, imagine you go out and buy your your, your Canon PowerShot. Now, this is kind of aiming at that market. It's still, a little, still going to be a little bit pricey, but you can see where the technology is going. It's the kind of thing where you take it out of your pocket, you lift it into the air, voice or gesture control, and it'll take photographs or video of you. Um, it's obviously limited in terms of the distances um, and how far it can fly compared to the the kind of the more pro version of uh, pro versions of these drones but the question that I, that I kind of left uh, with after seeing the launch and looking at this pretty impressive looking um, drone is the fact you know we've, we've got all this legislation around drones coming in mm. um, really trying to prevent the airspace being flogged with unmanned aerial vehicles mm. that could cause injury and harm I'm wondered how the, I wonder how this is going to fit in into that space I mean this is going to allow more people to throw devices into the air that's going to stay there and hover. Mm. Um, the thing's got a range of about two Ks. So, I mean, that's that's quite a distance. And I mean, I don't think you can cause damage with it. It's a very small device. It comes with um, um, prop guards that you can put on. Uh, I'm just going to show you a photo there. Um, so, I mean, I guess it can be safe and, and it's designed to fly around people. So, I yeah. think they... You know, and these well, we'll see what happens when it the gets propellers will fold in when they hit you. That kind okay. of thing, you know. Um, we'll see what happens when it gets sucked into the into the engine of a Boeing Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, that is kind of the way where I'm going with this. With a lot right. of these things, a lot of places like in parks, you know, you can't fly. You can't go up Table Mountain and fly your drone. It's, yes. it's not allowed. Yeah. This kind of thing, where where do you draw the line? I mean, this is an, this is an extension of the selfie pole, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, instead of um, putting your camera out in a pole, you now hover it maybe two meters from you at a, at a height of a meter and take your photograph. Yeah. It's fantastic technology and I'm really excited about this. Um, but I am wondering where it's taking us, uh, especially now it's becoming so much more accessible. Yes. Um, and no doubt the price is going to come down. Um, How much is this new one? So uh, the price I think was about $500 uh, that they said. Will, so it's about 15, maybe 10, 11 grand. Um, I'm just double checking the price here. Five hundred dollars, yeah. Probably about five hundred dollars, yeah. About eight grand, yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, so you know, it's still it's still not something for the entry level market, but it's making it again a lot more accessible. Mm. Um, it's got some limitations over the others. Like I said, image quality isn't as good. Um, the gimbal is a two axis gimbal as opposed to a three axis. It still offers you a lot of uh, uh, st stabilization. But um, it's going to be interesting to, to, to see where this is, because again, now the benchmark is moved mm. slightly. Now you have a really good commercial uh, consumer drone. So this comes mounted with a camera? Uh, it comes with a camera, it's built in, okay. yeah. 16 minutes flying time. Um, 16 minutes? 16 minutes, yeah. Okay. It's got really, it's got DJI's um, sonar technology built in, so it won't fly into things, it'll stop before it hits a building, which is great. Yes. 12 megapixel camera, and it can fly about two kilometers from you at a speed of 50 kilometers an hour. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to play with this, um, but it's going to be interesting to see what the market does with this and, and mm. what uh, governments and legislators do um, to prevent kind of it, to come, kind of prevent illegal flying or flying in places we can't. Mm. Now, having said that, DJI did recently update uh, their firmware, um, or, or is going to update their firmware. Every DJI owner is going to have to register their drone using the software. And what what uh -huh. the speculation is is 
that they are trying to kind of appease legislators who, who want these things to be controlled, you know. Mm. DJI has got the capability to prevent you from launching your drone if you fly it in the airport or yes. near a place where there's a, a geofence around. Yes. Um, so I think that kind of thing is going to become much tighter in terms of what the software allows to do. Um, and that's the only way you're going to really be able to prevent flying. Right. But this thing, again, moves the benchmark because you can fly it indoors yes. as well. Right, right. Cool. Um, so let's move on to our, uh, our regular features. Um, our winner this week, I've picked NASPAS, um mm. just because of their, uh, their investment in Tencent. We spoke about it a bit earlier in the podcast, but that share price has already been on a tear. Their market capitalization is now 1.21 trillion rand. Sure. <laughs> Uh, biggest company on the JSC <laughs> by market value. Um, not bad for a company that started out as a newspaper publisher. Mm. Um, incredibly successful, and it's all uh, that m- all of that is on the back of this uh, 33% stake they bought in Tencent. I think back in 2000, 2001, yeah. for 33 million dollars. Uh, that stake is now estimated to be worth about one and a half trillion rand, and it was um, of course led by Antuni Ru, uh, mm. the former CEO of MWeb, uh, who. Uh, uh, took on the, the responsibility of that expansion for, for NASPAR. Uh, he passed away quite a few years ago now. Um, but um, brilliant, brilliant investment. I mean, one of the best returns in the history of an acquisition anywhere in the world. Absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So they're our winner this week. And uh, we racked our brains before the podcast, really tried to come up with a loser this week. A unique loser, because we can mention a few regulars that fly floating around. We thought we couldn't do the ESCOM board two weeks in a row, so... uh, um, uh, so uh, we'll, we'll let them off this week. Uh, no losers this week for our uh, in our picks, in our uh, regular features. Uh, what's your pick this week, Rachel? So as you know, I'm a big fan of video. Um, my, I edit a lot of video too. My primary program that I use is um, Adobe Premiere Pro. Yeah. But I've I've kind of been playing around with a few other pieces of software just to to get you know I'm, I'm trying to expand on a little something I'm experimenting with. And I came across this one piece of software um, called Blackmagic DaVinci Resolve. Now it's free video editing software that is actually pretty impressive. So if if you're into putting video together or you want to start off. Um, I would certainly recommend you checking out uh, this piece of software. We'll put the link in the show notes. Now, Blackmagic is a very popular, is a incredibly um, high-end video camera manufacturer. They they kind of create these high-end video cameras f- that movie professionals use and advert professionals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 4K, 8K, these really top-notch stuff. Now, DaVinci Resolve. Um, the free version of the software is limited. You can't export 4K. There's some 3D limitations um, and some tool limitations. But for the average user who wants to cut video clips together, this is absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. And because it's free, I mean, you can't really get better than this. There are some other uh, applications out there that does something similar. I mean, um, or, or free software alternatives. But this is this is one that I would want to spend my time on. I've been playing with it for about a week now. And I, I kind of like it. I won't move away from Premiere Pro because I've obviously got a, a, a full suite um, within Premiere Pro and I'm quite used to all the tools working together. But should you wish to upgrade DaVinci Resolve, um, it'll only cost you $300, which is quite a lot cheaper than uh, getting a, a yearly package, a daily mm. Premiere Pro package. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, we'll put the, show lo- sh- the links in the show notes, but um, that's my pick and I would highly recommend it. If you cool, I'm going to download it and have a look at that. Yeah, does it run on Windows and Mac? Eh? Windows and Mac, okay. yeah. There's, there's a public beta out now that I'm actually playing with, um, version 14, but you can get to stable version 12.5 right. for free as well. Okay, cool, cool. My pick this week is an app. Um, it's available only for Android at the moment. Um, it's called uh, Stash. 
uh, written ST hashtag. Oh, that's very millennial of these guys. <laughs> I think that's the market it. it's aimed at. Yeah. <laughs> it's developed by uh, a, a very unmillennial company, Liberty, oh, uh, the insurance company. And it really allows you to, um, to stash your digital change, your spare change, rather. So uh, whenever you make a purchase, uh, they pick up that purchase and they will um, put your money into a savings account. So they'll round it up. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. I, I know some of the banks offer this. F&B, I know, offers um, a bank your change feature on their digital banking. You just need to enable it in the back end, and then okay. it just rounds it up, and it goes into a savings pocket. So it's a similar sort of idea, except it's been implemented as an app. It's done by Liberty, and there are no, bank, there are no uh, fees associated with it, which is fantastic. And you can work user with any bank? It works with um, just about any bank. I think there may, might have been one bank that was missing. Uh, but it's um, it, it works with pretty much all the banks. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, it's called Stash. If you just search word the word Stash in, in, in the Play Store, uh, you'll find it. It's not available for iOS. Oh, um, no, I can't get it. <laughs> I was so excited. Thanks. Um, come on, you must have an Android phone lying around somewhere. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, it's, it's not, not available. But I suppose the market they're aiming at, they're aiming at a, at a younger mm. market uh, that uh, probably the market that they're aiming at is mostly on Android. Uh, so um, I guess it makes sense to go for Android first. Um, yeah, 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 perhaps there'll be an sense. iOS app at a later date. But it's quite a cool little app. It's worth checking out. It's called Stash, and it's in the Play Store. And that, uh, folks, as they say, is that. Is that. Um, of course, we still need to do the quiz results. Uh, so let me jump in with the first question. Microsoft will build or more accurately co-locate two Azure data centers in South Africa. In which cities will they be located? And that's Joburg and Cape Town. The second question, Huawei has launched its first laptop. Uh, what is it called? And the answer we said, the MateBook X. Telecoms Minister Sia Bongo Huele this week warned that high data prices in South Africa might require the attention of which regulatory body? And that is the Competition Commission. The fourth question, which country this week said it will drop the rape, inv- rape investigation against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange? And the answer there is Sweden. And our last question on the show this week. Sony announced this week that it will discontinue which smartphone models to focus on its high-end phones. And those are the mid-range Xperia X and Xperia X Compact. Interesting. Uh, Very interesting move by Sony, yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, makes sense, I suppose. I mean, why focus on, on... on on lower end models when when especially when you're a smaller smartphone ma- maker when you can perhaps focus on one or two models uh, and mm-hmm. and hopefully maximize your um, profit margin on those models and they've been good at the high end stuff I mean they have been yeah. the products are really good they have been although I think they're um, they're facing a serious challenge now from uh, from Samsung mm. and no doubt from Apple later this year when the yeah. next iPhone comes out um, I think their design styling has fallen a bit behind but I think I think all the actually all the phone makers have that problem now since the S8 came out you can only shape a block so many ways yes indeed indeed um, so uh, that's uh, Sony uh, that's our that's our show as well as always if you've got any feedback we love getting your mails we do read all of them our email address is info at techcentral.co.za until next time from Rechada myself cheers ciao ciao